Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Thank God for His holy written word. Hallelujah. This morning I want to share with you about genuine faith. That'll be our title for our message. And 1 Timothy chapter 1 will be our opening text. We're going to read it from two translations, the King James Version and then also the New Living Translation. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Now notice this from the New Living Translation. Just gives us a little different take. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Did you get that? Don't help people live a life of faith in God. I want you to notice three things here the Apostle Paul points out to Timothy, a young pastor, in his pastoral work. He says, look, there are three things that are extremely important. And the way he said it was this, this is the end of the commandment. In other words, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we want to accomplish. This is our goal. Sometimes we say at the end of the day, in our expressions today. In other words, this is, this is it. This is what it's all about. Well, what's it all about, Paul? Number one, charity or divine love flowing from a pure heart. So let's ask ourselves that question. In my life, is the love of God flowing from a pure heart? Am I truly loving God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? Am I truly loving other people? as I love myself and as Christ loved me? Am I also loving my enemy? Because Jesus said, if you want to reach spiritual maturity, you have to love even your enemies. Am I loving my wife the way Christ loved the church? And am I loving my husband the same way? So we ask ourselves that question because this is the bottom line. This is the end result. This is what we're looking for. This is what we want to achieve. But then secondly, he said, a clear conscience, a clear conscience. In other words, living a life for Christ with a clear conscience. The apostle Paul said it this way, I am free and pure from the blood of all men. Why is he pure from the blood of all men? Because I didn't withhold anything. I have told everyone everything there is to know about Christ. He said, so my conscience is clear. Serving God with a clear, pure conscience is so important. Because you see, if the conscience is seared like a hot iron, you know what happens? When we have our conscience seared like with a hot iron, we think good is bad and bad is good. 
We were warned of that. They had a conscience that was seared. The best way I can describe that is this. If you keep putting your hand in hot water and then keep it going and keep it going hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter, or if you drink something hot like hot coffee, you can drink hot coffee. There are those that can drink hot coffee straight down and anybody else it might burn your esophagus, but for them, it doesn't bother them at all. My grandfather, when I was young and growing up, he would, I would help him with the dishes. He was washing the dishes, and so I just, I was drying. And then when he turned around the other way, I stuck my hand in the water. Oh, my goodness. It about burned my hand off. He just went right back to doing it and didn't bother him at all. He was so used to doing it with the hotter water. Did it, did. So the conscience I'm talking about, if we keep doing the wrong thing and the wrong thing and the wrong thing and the wrong thing and the wrong thing, then guess what? Sometime we get to a place that it doesn't bother us anymore. It must be okay because it doesn't bother me. No. We want to have a clear conscience. Be very sensitive to what is right and what is wrong. And that's what he's saying. That's what's important. Then the third thing he said is what? Faith unfeigned. You know what faith unfeigned means? Genuine faith. Genuine faith. Real faith. Sincere faith. You have your own faith in God that is genuine and that is very real I believe. Praise God. That's what he's saying. But I want to emphasize the last one, unfeigned faith, in just a moment. But notice he said some of these preachers, some of these teachers, they have shied away from this. They're not emphasizing these things. Please listen to me carefully this morning. There's a lot of things you could be discussing that are meaningless. Do you remember when the apostles went to Jesus before he was taken to heaven? And they said, is it now time to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem, to Israel? And of course, Jesus sat down and gave him eschatology 101, right? Ah, uh, no, not at all. He said, look, that's not for you to know. Just do what I tell you to do. Isn't that what he said? You're going to receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come on you. What's important is not knowing that. What's important is this. You're going to be anointed to help people, to bless people, to get them saved, healed, delivered, set free, and made. That is what's important. They shot away from that. And maybe they shot away from that because maybe they didn't get some results they were looking for. But you know what? It doesn't matter if we get results. We should never say God's word is not true and faith in God's word doesn't work. We keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on. Believing the word of God, confessing the word of God, proclaiming the word of God, declaring the word of God by faith until we see the results. Because God doesn't have to change. His word doesn't have to change. We have to change. And we will if we maintain our focus and put the word of God first place in our lives. Actually, Solomon said it this way. Look in the book of Ecclesiastes. Basically, something similar he said. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Well, what's the conclusion? What's the end result? What is, you know, at the end of the day mean? Fear God and keep his commandments. That word fear there means to reverence God, hold him in the highest esteem and keep his commandments for this is the partial duty. Thank you. It's the whole duty of man. Now notice this. For God shall bring his neighbor's every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In other words, every single one of us, we understand, is to reverence God and keep his commandments individually. So 
this is it. At the end of the day, this is what we're going to be judged for. Are we walking in love? Are we serving with a clear conscience? And are we walking in faith unfeigned? Now, don't shy away from this. and Don't get nervous because you think I'm going to read every one of these scriptures because I'm not. I put these together for you so that you could go home and you can do a study. But I will quickly just go through each and every one of these. Why is faith an all-important subject of the Bible? Why? Well, look in Hebrews, first of all. That one I want to go to. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's a warning, isn't it? For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with joy, not being mixed with peace, not being mixed with what? Faith in them that heard it. And if you read chapter 3, he's referring to the Israelites that heard the message that were told, go into the promised land, I will go before you, I'll send my angel before you, and I will usher you into all the blessings that I have for you in this life. Isn't that what he told them? But they didn't enter in for what reason? Unbelief. So in other words, the plan that God had purpose for their lives, this wonderful purpose, this wonderful plan of being their God as they serve him, of blessing their bread and blessing their water, taking sickness and disease away from the midst of them, fulfilling the number of their days, prospering them in the land. All those things were on the table for them, but they didn't enter into all that for what reason? Unbelief. They didn't mix faith with the gospel. So he gives us a warning and tells us, if you don't mix faith with the gospel, you can have all the ingredients there, but it's not going to benefit you. Now, you know, my cooking is limited to beanies and weenies. How many of you know that? I make a decent egg, too. Sunny side up, a little over lightly, whatever. Okay. So I just took this upon myself to go online for myself. And say, why is it necessary to mix the ingredients if you're going to bake a cake or make some cookie dough or something like that? And through my research, what I discovered from this professional cook was this. Maybe some of you ladies don't even know this. You mix the dry ingredients together. You mix the wet ingredients together before you put them together and then you mix them together because a lot of people don't they put them all in together one time and then mix it and she said uh-uh you won't get the best result that way you take the wet ones mix them take the dry ones mix them put them together mix them you got the best result the gospel doesn't work it doesn't benefit it doesn't prosper us unless we mix faith with it we can have all the ingredients on the table. I am blessed of the Lord. I am prospered in the Lord. I'm healthy in the Lord. All this is out there for us on the table. He will protect me. He will deliver me. He will help me. But guess what? If we don't mix faith with all that revelation, it will not profit anyone. And so this is going to be the thrust of our message. Now look here just to show you how important 
faith is. And many, even in this day in which we live, are backing off from the faith message, maybe because, like I said, they didn't get some results, and so they said, that faith business doesn't work. Well, if we get rid of faith, let me show you something. Number one, you're saved by grace through faith, right? We don't want to get rid of salvation, do we? We receive the Holy Ghost, the Spirit by faith. In, in Galatians 3.14, it tells us that. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit, how? Through faith. Number three, we access grace. We talk about grace a lot today. Grace is the operational power of God. And we thank God for the power of His operation, don't we? But we access it by, we're justified by faith, by which also we have access into this grace. Faith gives us access into the grace. Anybody here want more grace? Peter says it's multiplied through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So it takes faith to access grace. Okay, the next one. Uh, if we fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. We're not going to be able to fight to stand against the opposition that's out there in the, in the world. The devil, the world, and the flesh. It takes faith to overcome. It takes faith to be victorious. So we have to fight the good fight of faith. N next one. We walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, come on now. We walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, there's something unseen that's bigger and greater than what we see. So what we see in the eyes of God, as far as he's concerned, is no match for what is unseen. You know how the scripture says, while we look not at things that are seen? We look not at the things that are seen, but look at the things that are unseen. Scientists cannot discover, they don't know why, you know, where, or where this universe came from. You know why? Because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 tells us, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things that are seen were not made of things that do appear. So you can get out your microscope all you want and try to find something. It doesn't appear. It's not there. You can't see it, but it made it. Why? It's been made by the word of God. That's why you can't see it, but praise God, it's creative and it's powerful. In the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, God said, God said, and it was. So in other words, everything that was made was made by something that's not seen, which is the word of Almighty God. And you can't put that under a microscope and find it. So how do we look at things that are not seen? Good question, huh? By faith is the answer. By faith. Look at the next one. We uh, live by faith. Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. We are kept by faith. 1 Peter 1.5, kept by faith that is in Christ Jesus. Look at the next one. We are sanctified how? Not by our good works, but by faith in his good works. We're sanctified by faith. We overcome this world. We rid ourselves of faith. And guess what? You have nothing with which to overcome the world. For John said it this way. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Even our faith. Okay, so look at the next one. We please God by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. So I can only please him by faith. Good works don't please him. Faith pleases him. Now faith will produce good works, but it's faith Remember, it's faith from the heart, genuine faith, a real faith from the heart. The next one, stand, we stand by faith. Next one, we are strengthened by faith as Abraham was. Next one, we are justified by faith. Next one, we move mountains by faith. Is there a mountain standing between you and success or you and victory? That mountain can and will be removed, but it takes faith to remove the mountain. I got to speak to that mountain, Jesus said. If you'll speak to that mountain, that mountain will remove and nothing will be impossible unto you.
What a powerful statement Jesus made. He made a way for us to have all things possible in our lives, but what's going to do it? Faith. I've got to speak to my mountain. Don't let your mountain speak to you. Speak to your mountain. Tell it what you want it to do. The next one, we forgive by faith. Remember the disciples said, after Jesus said to forgive your people that offend you, forgive them 490 times a day, and they said increase our what? Our faith. It takes faith to forgive people. We forgive by faith, not by feelings and not by emotions, but we forgive by faith. By faith, I've released that person, even though a feeling might, might tell me you still feel bitter. Feelings have nothing to do with it. I made a decision. I have forgiven. And that's the bottom line. It's by faith. Otherwise, the devil will browbeat you with, with guilt and condemnation. The next one, we're healed by faith. James talks about the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And so the next one we receive, and this is so powerful, so important. James 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men and upbraids not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is as the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So he is saying that anything that we need to receive, we receive by faith. It takes faith to receive that. It's not wishing for it. It's not hoping for it. It's not the fact that it's on the table because clearly it's on the table for us. So whatever it is, it's in our reach. But it takes faith to connect with God. It takes faith to take it off that table and apply it to our lives. So that's important. Then the next one is sonship. Galatians 3. And here where it talks about that if we're a people of faith, then we're the seed of Abraham or the children of Abraham as well. So we have sonship by faith in Christ Jesus and what he's done. And then we have blessings. We're blessed. He that is blessed, he that is of faith is blessed with faith for Abraham. And the last one, how about this one? Above all, take the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. What does it take to quench the fiery darts of the devil? An act of faith. So in other words, we need to have an understanding of how important faith really is. And if we think we could master all the things that we just read right here, I think we're kind of kidding ourselves. We need to, for ourselves, look at all these things, do our own personal study, and develop a faith in those things, a genuine faith in those things. So in other words, I'm going to walk in love, I'm going to have a clear conscience, and I'm going to develop my own personal faith in what God wants for my life personally. Now, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, look at this. Our faith has an author. And this is so essential. Our faith has an author. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're all in a running race, a long distance race. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, our faith has an author. Notice that word translated author also means a source, a founder, initiator, a pioneer, an originator, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginner of our faith. In other words, our faith originates with him. Our faith originates with God, not with ourselves. We just can't make up and manufacture some things and call it faith. It is essential that we understand how faith operates and how faith works and how faith must have a foundation. And that foundation is the word of God. 
He's the author of our faith. He's the founder of our faith. So we find out what he said. We find out what he did. We embrace those truths and we meditate those truths until, be, until they become a force of faith on the inside of us. And then we release them, praise God, with words. Look at the book of Numbers, chapter 14. If you recall the story, we just talked a little bit about it. How the Israelites went to the brink of the promised land, but they failed to get in because they did not exercise faith. They did not mix faith with what God said. God said, this land is yours. God said, I'm blessing you in the land, but they didn't mix faith with it, and they were kept out. God was upset with them. Uh, those that were the leaders died by the plague. Their mouths and tongues and, and jaws were eaten out by worms, and their uh, navel as well. Why? Because they led the people astray. They didn't produce faith in the hearts of the people. What they produced was fear, doubt, and unbelief. And what they saw was in the natural giants. They saw giants in the land. And so they said, we're like grasshoppers. They were looking at things unseen. They were looking at things seen. And the things seen were bigger than their God. So you see, that's not faith. Faith says they look bigger. In the natural, they are bigger. They look stronger. They are stronger. These walls are strong walls that no one's ever penetrated. All that is true. No one denies that. But I'm looking beyond those walls and say that the God I serve is bigger than all the opposing forces coming against me. That is a revelation that comes to us. Okay, so guess what? These Israelites, you know what they did? We can't do it. We're grasshoppers. They're too big. We can't do it. We'll never make it. Is your problem bigger than your God? If you see your problem bigger than your God, then guess what? It's bigger than your God. It's when we say, oh, I understand all that's there. That's all a natural truth. But I see my God being bigger. And Joshua and Caleb got in because they saw their God being bigger. But I want you to see that that faith to enter in originated with God himself. He said, I'll get you into the promised land. But guess what? They didn't believe it. They didn't mix faith with it. So Moses says, you're now judged by the hand of God and you will die in the wilderness, just like you said you would for 40 years, over a 40-year period. Well, guess what they did then? They made a decision to change their mind. But look at verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning, and they got them into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up into the place which the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. That you be not smitten before your enemies, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed, how many of you know presumption is not faith? They presumed to go up into the hill, hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. When they had a basis for faith, they refused to believe it. Once judgment was pronounced and they had no basis for faith they went out and tried to do it on their own look we don't manufacture our own faith faith is based on what God tells us to do it is based on his word and his word alone and when he tells us to do something then you know what that's between let's say if he's telling me to do something that's between him and me if he tells me specifically to do something like, you'll be the next pastor of that church. Now, I can make a decision to say no, but if he says that, then he's given me the ability to do so. 
He's going to have to give the provision, all that I need to do so. Can you see that? Okay, so with that in mind, let's look at the danger of imitating someone else's faith. Imitation faith, and go to the book of Acts with me. Faith works. Faith is real. Faith gets results. But people will try to imitate someone else's faith. And this is what has given the faith message a bad name. People have tried to imitate someone else's faith. And as a result, they failed. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want you to see it firsthand in the Word of God. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, those traveling Jews, strolling is another word that's used to describe them. Notice, exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, hmm, Jesus I know. Hmm, Paul I know. Who are you? Who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, wait a minute. Why would they do that? Why would they call on? See, they were vagabond exorcists. They were traveling around. They were making money trying to conjure up incantations and all kinds of charms and all that to cast to try to get devils out of people and taking money and so they figured that hey this Paul's casting out devils and they probably got heard or heard got wind of and heard of Jesus casting out devils so what are they trying to do imitate what Jesus did imitate what Paul did but guess what they had no faith to do that they didn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord they were just going about trying to make some money on their own. And they were trying to imitate someone else's faith. And so in the process of doing so, the devil in the man does what? I know Jesus. And I know Paul. But you, buddy, you seven, you think you're a match for the devil? Seven of them. One guy filled with a demon. Beat them all up. And sent them out naked. Imagine that. So, we can't try to imitate someone else's faith and think we're going to get someone else's results. And what do I mean by that? There are some people that what they've done, they've, for example, uh, they've taken their child off of medication. Why? Because they heard the testimony of so-and-so, and they did that. And when they did that, their child was healed. So what do they do? They try to imitate that person's faith. But you see, they didn't realize that that person was in the word of God, seeking the face of God, determining what God would have him or her to do in that situation, and probably heard from God, okay, now it's done, and that child can be released from that medication. In some cases, children have died as a result. You talk about giving faith a bad name. See, faith works, but not imitation faith. Faith works, but not presumption. Faith is a real force coming from within the heart of a person that truly believes the word of God and acts upon the word of God, who knows the word of God and then seeks the face of God to seek direction as to what to do. Some people have taken off their eyeglasses 
because they heard someone else took off their eyeglasses and they got healed. But they don't know what took place behind the scenes for that person to get to the place that they knew that they knew this is what I am to do. And so they fell off the steps. Devil beat them up. Devil beat them up. Just fell right off the steps. As a result, or in some cases, and I heard of this, they got in a car wreck. Can you imagine that? Wow. And then uh, there are those that tried to give of their finances because they heard that someone who gave this amount of money got a blessing in return. See? And so what they did was went and borrowed money off of their friends, got that money and gave it supposedly to the Lord, and they didn't get a return. Now they owe their friends. Now they can't pay their bills. What they were trying to do was manufacture their own faith. The Bible says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But remember I said earlier about, let's say, Cain and Abel and how Cain brought his offering. Did you know you can bring an offering to someone? I can offer you something, but you don't have to take it. If I offer something to you, as they offered something to God, God didn't receive it. God didn't accept it from Cain. You realize that. You know why? Because he didn't offer it in faith. And you know what faith means? The way God said to do it. I believe that Abel's blood still speaking out today because he offered an offering the way God said to offer the offering. He did it by faith. You read it in Hebrews chapter 11. It says by faith he offered a more excellent sacrifice or offering to the Lord. It was based on faith. He did it the way God said to do it. If we do it the way God says to do it, that's called faith. And God will do his part in honoring our giving. But if I'm just doing it to get rich, if I'm just doing it to, to see if I can get a return on it, what's wrong? My heart is wrong. My heart's not right. You know what motivation should be to give to God? I love you, Lord. I love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. You said where your treasure is, your heart is also. I just want to bless you. I just want to honor you. I want to advance your kingdom upon the earth. And I know I'm going to get blessed back. But the point is, we want to give by faith. Praise God. We can't in- imitate someone else's genuine faith and think we're going to get a result. Now look in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. If we want to get results, we've got to have our own faith life. Our own life of faith. We develop faith in God. And this is a process. It's a progressive thing. Over the years, we learn to trust him. And I'll get to that in a moment. But look at here. Um, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 17. Remember when Paul was talking about be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Take upon yourself the whole armor of God that you can stand against all the wiles and strategies of the devil. Then he talked about the armor of God. Notice in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the what? That word for word is rhema. It's not logos, it's rhema. And there's a difference between those two words, those two Greek words. You can say logos is the whole counsel of God. This whole Bible we can say is the logos or logos, however you want to say it. This is the logos. It gives me a revelation of who God is. It gives me a revelation of his plan for my life. It gives me a revelation of his salvation. It gives me a revelation of his character. So as I read through the word of God, I understand. Oh, I see. God's a loving God, a caring God. He says, cast your care upon me because I care for you. He says, I can pray and not even worry about anything because Jesus says, don't worry about anything. The God that you serve knows the needs that you have. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. He's numbered each and every one of them. 
So we, we, we see his character. We, see his understand, we see, understand how much he loves us and cares about us. And we're more of more value than many sparrows. So we understand that. But the logos, that's the general counsel of God, is not like the rhema. The rhema is the spoken word of God. It is the word that God gives to you or quickens to you by his spirit from the logos or speaks to you by his spirit. So in other words, if God told me to do something, doesn't mean he's telling you to do it. Remember how he told Naaman the leper, go dip seven times in a river? I guarantee you, 10 people, 10 lepers could have dipped in that river afterwards and not get healed. Because it wasn't their rhema. It wasn't the revelation that God gave to them. He gave it to him. You go dip seven times. That's the basis for his faith. And if he acts on that with faith, he'll get a result. Well, I want you to see something here in the book of Exodus, chapter 8 and verse 1, because this was a rhema. The difference between the two needs to be clearly seen so we can understand it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him. Who's this word for? Pharaoh. Who's going to give it? God through Moses. Thus saith the Lord. So who is this rhema for? Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may serve me. What was he supposed to do? Act in faith and let the people go. You know as well as I do, he refused to let the people go. How many of you know God has his own way of persuading people? Did you ever notice that? He gives them opportunity after opportunity. The first plague, the second plague, the third plague, the fourth plague. And the plagues kept going on and on and on. Until finally the death of the firstborn. And that's when he, you see how hard men's heads can be? How stubborn we can be at times? It took all that for him to hear one word that God says, let my people go that they may serve me. Okay, look at Exodus chapter 14 now. This is a direct, directive given to, or a rhema given to Moses for the Israelites. Now look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So the word, the rhema given to Pharaoh was what? Let my people go, right? The word or the rhema given to Moses and the children of Israel was to go forward on dry land. Okay, so here we have Pharaoh and here we have Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. He stretched out the rod, the sea parts, and the waters are congealed, and the ground is dry, and they go walking across on dry land, right? Who comes from behind? Pharaoh, his army, chariots, etc., etc., and what are they doing? Imitating the faith of Moses and the Israelites. Because you see, that was a rhema for them, not for the Egyptians. So they attempt to do what God told the Israelites to do, and what happens to them? They drowned in the midst of the sea because it wasn't for them. They didn't have faith to believe for that. God did not give them that rhema. He did not give them that directive. 
You see how important it is to maintain a close fellowship with God, to understand what he's trying to tell us to do in a given situation. And you see the danger of trying to imitate someone else's faith by taking off your glasses and saying, I'm healed when you go tumbling down the stairs. If God's not in it, it's not going to work. We need to understand, praise God, that imitation faith is not something that works. Presumption is not something that works. If you had the opportunity to have a surgical procedure performed by a real surgeon or a television personality who plays a surgeon, which one would you choose? The imitation or the real? And you better do it in faith, believe in God even at that. But would you hire someone from TV, this, uh, one of these doctor's pros, you know, emergency room programs or something like that, and just say, hey, I'll watch you on TV. Come and operate on me. <laughs> would you? I don't think so. What about a pilot who learned how to fly by a video game? <laughs> uh, have you ever flown before? Uh, a video game? That's all the credentials that you have? Yeah, I've learned how to land, I've learned how to take off and all that. I'm, uh, excuse me, I'm getting off the plane. Imitation as opposed to genuine. There's a big difference between the two. Can you see that? And you see the difficulty lies in this. It sounds like faith. Even for all of us, it's got to be here. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, Satan desires to have you to sift you like wheat? Remember he said that to Peter? But I prayed for you, Peter. For what did he pray? That your faith fail not. Peter, he's come and determine whether or not your faith is genuine or pretended faith. Pretense. It's whether it's real or whether it's imaginary or whether it's fake. And you can use all kinds of adjectives. Imitation faith. No. We need to know from our hearts, this is thus say it the Lord. Now, how do we get that revelation? Listen, either by staying in the Word of God and meditating the Word of God, which is the logos, and just keep on pouring over it. Have you ever been there before when all of a sudden, boom, it's smack, it hits you, that's it, and all of a sudden some, something like faith rises in your heart, and you take it to the bank. Or, God speaks by His Spirit. Now, I'll tell you a very solemn moment in my life was when, in the birthing room, I heard four words. Fear not, only believe. When at a moment in time, when it seems like your son is going to die, and when all the medical field says your son is going to die, and when they tell you he cannot live, and then they finally come out after a procedure and say, we can bring in, let him die in your arms, or we can take him in surgery, let him die in there. You take your pick. How would your feelings and emotions be at that time? But to stand there and say, we believe. Do what you have to do, we believe. You see, that was a rhema to me. That was the foundation for our faith. And every challenge along the way was, we believe. And when they would say, he can't and he will never, we would say after they would leave, we believe, Lord. You said, only believe, we believe. He told Jairus, only believe. 
He told Jairus, fear not, be not afraid, only believe. And then when the man came with his son that was a lunatic and he was, was demon-possessed and thrown himself into the fire and thrown himself into the water. Can you imagine that scenario? Can you imagine having a, a child that you have to watch 24-7 that sometimes tries to kill himself, commit suicide by throwing himself in the water and you've got to go pull him out? Or he tries to burn himself with fire and you've got to put out the fire? And this happened day in and day out. This happened throughout this man's life. It says oftentimes he's done this. And this guy finally comes at wit's end and he's to Jesus and he says to Jesus, your disciples couldn't help me. Can you, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, help me. If you can. He didn't know if he could. He didn't know if he would. And you would think that Jesus would have said something different, but he said, wait a minute, buddy. It's not what God can do. It's not what I can do. It has nothing to do with this scenario at all. If you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. How important is faith? It doesn't get more important than that. You see, Andrew's alive today because of this message, because of faith. That's why he's alive. And he's progressed the way he has because we believe and we continue to do so. So this, I just want to begin just like a, a faith series. Is that okay with you? To really go over, because we need to understand this. Because we could have all the ingredients, we could have all the right lingo, we can say the right words, but God has a plan for every one of our lives here. And to find and fulfill that plan takes faith. God, what would you have me to do? What do I have left there? John's gospel? Is it John's chapter 21? Is that in there? Remember when, when Peter... Jesus told Peter, if you love me, Peter, what did he say to do? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my lambs. Right? Then he went on to tell Peter, Peter, this is how you're going to die. Showed him how he's going to die. Remember that? Well, you know how Peter is. Peter says, Peter seeing John saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Now, isn't that just like Peter? Jesus just got done telling him, this is what you're going to do. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to feed my lambs. And then you're going to die this kind of a death right here as a martyr for me because, you know, you have to. It's a foundational truth that you're willing to die for the one you believe in. You're going to set the example for others to follow. He goes, but what about John over here? <laughs> well, what's he going to do? <laughs> Jesus says to him, if I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee, Peter? You know, that was polite. He actually said, mind your own business, Peter. Take care of your life, what I told you to do. Because you see, you only got faith for what I tell you to do, not what I tell John to do. Now, remember when he was out there on the boat and the, and the storm came? And then he said, Jesus, he saw him walking on the water. If that's you, bid me to do what? come. So what did Jesus say? Only thing he could say, because you said, bid me to come. He says, come. And Peter begins to walk out on the water. So he began the miracle. Just because we have a directive, and just because we have a foundation for faith, and we step out of the boat, and we start walking in the realm of faith, guess what? That doesn't mean there won't be a challenge along the way. Let's read the verses in, in Matthew 14, 28 through 31. 
Look at what it says here. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be, if it be thou, bid me to come into, into the, unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, what a great display of faith, Peter. <laughs> I'm the only one that can really do this, but look at you using that faith of yours. Peter, I'm so proud of you, man. You just, you just light me up, Peter. I'm just so excited for you. <clears throat> Is that what he said? O thou of little faith. The only one qualified to say that is Jesus. <laughs> Wherefore didst thou doubt? Even when we have the rhema, when he's telling us what to do, and there's a foundation for our faith, and we step out to do it, I think some people think that that settles it. There's not going to be any more challenges along the way. Uh-uh. All the more reason. You think the devil sees anybody else sitting in the boat? He's going to challenge them? He's going to see Peter walking out there on the water. He doesn't belong on the water. When your faith antenna goes up, you become a prime target for the enemy, I guarantee you. When you start walking in faith, by faith, serving God, doing the will of God for your life, and you know this is what God says to do, you become a prime target for the devil. He's going to come against you to try to see to it. He does to you what he did to Peter. Peter, he said, little faith was a progression because Peter before had no faith in the other boat. And then he had little faith, and he got to great faith, and Paul says perfect faith, so we can see a progression of our faith. And how is it that we develop this kind of faith in God? I'm so glad you asked me this morning that question. So glad you asked me this morning. This is how you develop that kind of faith in God. It's like any natural relationship that you have with people. If I were to ask my son to take $100 and put it into the bank, I can guarantee you as sure as I'm standing here, he would do that. There would not be a doubt in my mind whatsoever that he would do that. But if he ever got to the place where only $90 was in the account, only $80 went into the account, if he ever got to a place where he was not showing integrity and faithfulness and that sort of thing, then I would have to start questioning whether or not I can trust him. I use this illustration often, and I'll close with this. You've got a bathtub full of water. And that bathtub full of water, what does it represent? Absolute trust, faith, and integrity. It's two people living together on the same roof. They're married, and they trust each other, explicitly trust each other. And it's filled with water. But if there is a violation of trust, a little bit of water goes down. Another violation of trust, a little bit more water goes down. If infidelity is committed, the water is gone completely from the tub and in order for that person who did that thing to once again be a person that can be trusted that you can believe in that can once again you know believe that you believe that you would be able to live with that person knowing that they would never violate your trust ever again takes a lot of hard work effort and energy because once you violate someone's trust mm, I'm telling you it's a hard thing to get it back. Very difficult thing. So listen, to get it back in, one spoonful at a time. One spoonful at a time. Where are you going tonight? Oh, I'm just going, I got a little bit late for work. Okay, call me. What's, where are you going now? I'm in a traffic jam. And keep on, keep on. What are you doing? Reestablishing trust. And that's not an easy thing to do.
Well, let me ask all of us a question before I close. Has God ever failed on a promise? Has he ever failed to make good his word? He's not a man, the lion or the son of man to repent. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Why is it so hard to trust him? Why is it easier for us to trust a banking institution than to trust a living God who has never, ever failed us anyway? Because we don't see him. We don't see him. Look, if he says by his stripes you're healed, I got to embrace that. I have to believe that. I got to grab a hold of that. And I've got to hold it up to him and, and just keep it there before the throne. Thank you for restoring health to me and healing me of every wound. Thank you for restoring health to me and healing me of every wound. Your word says by his stripes. I'm not looking at how I feel. I'm not looking at what the doctor says. I am looking at what your word says at the unseen. I'm looking at the serpent on the pole who became the curse for me, whose name is Jesus. And by his stripes I was healed, Lord. And I want to thank you. I want to praise you. I want to bless you. Because you can't lie. Man can lie, but you can't lie. Let God be true and every man be a liar. So I'm thanking you. I'm praising you. I'm blessing you. And I have a right to do that until that becomes a reality to me. You know why? Because it's part of his word. If I don't stop right now, I'll never stop, so stand up. <laughs> this is my favorite subject. I'll preach this subject and probably just be taken out of here in the glory.